This is Gotham TV Podcast, episode 52, Gotham Cast Interviews and New York Comic Con Chat. Hey, this is Drew Powell. I play Butch Gilzine on Gotham, and you are listening to Gotham TV Podcast. Welcome back to Gotham TV Podcast. This is episode 52, our Gotham cast interviews and discussion about New York Comic Con 2015. We're very lucky to have the chance to go to New York for the biggest comic convention and TV convention in the US to date, uh, just last weekend. So uh, tons of stuff to talk about in this episode, um, in between our reviews of Gotham Season 2. Uh, I'm one of your hosts, Derek. Hello, I'm one of your other hosts, John. Yeah, and we had the pleasure to chat with the cast of Gotham recently at this week's uh, at this weekend's New York Comic Con, which is great fun. John got the chance to sit down with them all, didn't you? Yeah, um, the roundtable interviews um, in the press area. We were again um, very generously invited there by Warner Brothers, so a big shout out to Mark and Holly. Absolutely. Thank you so much for that again. Thank you to the cast, which included Corey Michael Smith, Robin Lord Taylor, Ben McKenzie, and some of the new members like James Frain, Jessica Lucas and Aaron Richards, and the crew, which included John Stevens, in terms of the answers and their time, uh, they were very generous. So um, thank you. And it was great to, to sort of meet them in the flesh, you know, really, uh, really interesting people, giving some little snippets, little sneak peeks um, at what their characters are going to do, how maybe the season will unfold. There was Michael Chiklis there. Um, So it was really, really good. And obviously with episode four that was aired there very recently, we see that it is a war. He is seeing this as a war. So really interesting set of interviews there. Yeah, definitely. I really, really enjoyed listening to them. I hope our listeners enjoy them as well. Just first up, if you want to make sure you catch all of our episodes, make sure you follow us at gothamtvpodcast.com slash iTunes and catch us on iTunes and you can catch us on Stitcher, Player FM, all the other good podcast catchers. Make sure you can send us in your feedback about this episode about New York Comic Con and about all of our thoughts uh, for season two. Send them into feedback at gothamtvpodcast.com. One word of warning for you about these interviews. Uh, As John mentioned, the episode of Gotham that aired in the US uh, the week this, these interviews took place was Gotham episode 4 so there are some spoilers about some quite significant pieces that happened uh, during the first 3 to 4 episodes of Gotham um, we have have seen those episodes and we will be bringing you our coverage of them in the next couple of weeks as we uh, as we do our normal coverage of Gotham yeah we've been playing catch up we were uh pleased to be able to connect to Hulu and to watch Gotham uh, and also then some of the live episodes such as the episode 4 there on Monday the 12th um, the one that introduces Captain Barnes played obviously by Michael Chiklis yeah. really good absolutely so without further ado I think we should get into our interviews so first up we have Corey Michael Smith and Robin Lord Taylor aka Enigma the Riddler and Oswald Cobblepot, the Penguin. Yeah, great to have the two of them together, actually, wasn't it? Definitely, yeah. So, here's the interview. I'm John from Gotham TV Podcast. Um, how does Enigma's other side um, develop now that he's let the other side out of the box? And what implications might that have for Christine Kringle? Oh, many, many implications. Uh, <laughs> well, we'll see on Monday. I think there was a sneak peek released by somebody uh, where... Um, you know, 
Dark Enigma is, is essentially the catalyst for Ed to get the things that he wants, which is, you know, attention from Kristen, uh, love from Kristen, a date. Um, and so he's, he's just going to be pushing him, pushing him to, to man up and have some courage and take chances. And so we'll see, we'll see Ed finally just like, just say what he should have said about, about 20 episodes ago, which is like, will you, will you go on a date with me? Or go on a date with me. Don't even ask. Just tell it. Cool. Yeah. Cheers. Thanks. Bye. <laughs> so what is your relationship going to be? Uh, how is that involved? Because um, we just had a phone with you recently. Right. Um, but you guys are really going to have some moments this season. Can you tell oh, us yeah. a little bit about that? Well, I mean, yeah. With the rise of the villains, you know, that generally implies that we're all going to start acting, like, interacting with each other. And since we've already met briefly in the first season, you know, yeah. I, you know, we come back into each other's lives in a, in a pretty major, exciting way. Yeah, very exciting way. Uh, yeah. yeah, you know, fate just has it that, that Edward and Oswald must meet again. Yeah, <laughs> So we run into each other in a very interesting place. And, uh, <laughs> you know, Edward, Edward knows exactly who Oswald is, obviously, as we know. And um, Oswald could really care less. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, Edward is such a fan, um, and as we'll see his evolution, especially in the next few episodes, um, because of, of Bad Enigma really kind of spurring him along, uh, he's, he's going to be interested in, in um, talking to Oswald. Some thoughts. Give me some thoughts. Yeah, and likewise, some well. furniture, <laughs> clothing, fashion, fashion. advice. Uh, <laughs> no, and then and, and you know, and from Oswald's standpoint, like he's always basic. I mean, he's collecting allies, and like we're always trying to find ways that he can, you know, bring people to his side and use them for his advantage. And, you know, yeah. Any luck getting Paul Rubens? I, we shall see. I, we shall see. I mean, I hope so. I know so. you want that so badly. It's an absolute dream. I mean, would be could you imagine working with me? I mean, I mean, I look back like a 10-year-old self. Just like, kill over and die. If I went back Did you talk life. about your lunch? What's that? Well, he's very close with Carol. Right. And so, and that's how, like, I actually met Paul. Uh, a couple months ago, through Carol, we had like a brush together, and that was totally yeah. so yeah. It would be amazing. I'm so jealous. I know, it was, it was, Cool. Yeah. Many of your characters are like full-fledged villains yet, they still kind of have both sides of them, so how do you know when to like bring the more evil into your like, your more normal lives of the character, and when do you kind of like hold back? Well, I think a lot of it is circumstance, and you'll see it play out in storylines. Like, you know, it's a lot of, you know, a lot about what Gotham is is about how the city influences these people and sort of forms who they are and the choices that they make. And so, in terms of like, you know, becoming, you know, darker characters, more fully fledged, you know, villains, and you know, become less sympathetic. A lot of that, like I said, is circumstances driving these characters to become. You know, they have no choice but to become darker and more ruthless to survive in the city. So, yeah, it's, it's a lot of it is just, you know, what happens in their lives. And I personally, I mean, uh, Edward is, there's this really exciting thing happening for me, which is like a tug of war by the same character. It's just so it's pulling him. And having, having 
made Edward a bit of a, a brighter character, really joyful, gleeful. You know, I, I have this other part now that's like pulling him, him down, his like feet are on the ground. Um, and you know, this this was unleashed because he took this drug of, of like killing someone. It's like, you know, he knows it's like terrible for him, but it's kind of, it was amazing. It's amazing. And he's like listening to this other part of himself. Uh, but you know, it's all, it's kind of, it's all in the writing. You know, they, they give us, they give us hints of, uh, you know, what they need and what they want, and, and we get to kind of choose the tactics in which they, they get there. Uh, sometimes you gotta lie, sometimes lying is fun. Sometimes you have to hurt somebody, and sometimes that is fun. Only in make Thank you so much, guys. Thanks, guys. Cheers, thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. So I really hope you enjoyed um, those interviews there with um, Robin Lord Taylor and Corey Michael Smith. It's really interesting to see that Corey Michael Smith is absolutely loving playing that dual uh, personality of Ed Nigma and the Riddler, and that he should have asked Christine Kringle out about 20 episodes ago. <laughs> <laughs> we are, of course, going to agree with that. Um, and it'll be great to see how that moves forward. And it's nice to hear the nervousness in uh, Robin Lord Taylor's uh, voice when he talks about Oswald Coppelbot getting slightly creeped out by these new villains, these crazier, uh, weirder villains than than he is. So really good set of interviews absolutely i really enjoyed that at one point to note you may have noticed from the interview that uh, there was a question posed to robin about uh, the appearance of one mr paul rubens uh formerly oswald cobblepot's dad in uh in batman returns uh, what basically seems to have happened is that question was posed during the roundtable interviews and about an hour later the panel took place where robin did in fact announce that paul rubens will be joining the cast of gotham uh, to reprise his role from batman returns as uh oswald cobblepot's dad he was genuinely over the moon when he made this announcement he was really excited about it i think he's he mentioned in the interview last year when we spoke to him that Batman Returns was the one movie of the Batman franchise he was watching every day after school as a kid. He loved the idea of getting Paul Rubens or potentially Danny DeVito on board for Gotham. So he's got to achieve one of those goals anyway. Yeah, the full set is there now. The amazing uh, Carol Kane as his mum, Gertrude Cobblepot, and now Paul Rubens as his daddy Cobblepot yeah. with Oswald. Um, and ha having watched episode four... Um, his dad must be returning to help save the day with Oswald. So remember, um, try not to spoil here. Get out and watch episode four to see exactly why Oswald is in a pickle. And with that, on to the next set of interviews, which um, comprises of executive producer and episode writer um, John Stevens. He's done such episodes as Balloon Man and episode four from season two, uh, Strike Force. And of course, we're introduced and are pleased to welcome Michael Chiklis as Captain Nathaniel Barnes, also known uh, from his roles as The Thing in Fantastic Four, the original two. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. He's also in uh, the TV show The Shield for many years and was the commish as well in, uh, in that TV show. So uh, great to have Michael Chiklis on board. A really nice guy uh, by the sounds of your interviews with him. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Here you go. How are you guys? Fantastic. Cool. Well, Michael, you're joining the show this season um, as a new captain. Can you tell us a little bit about what your relationship with uh, Jim is going to be this season? Well, I'm uh, Captain Barnes is um, 
I look at him as like a battlefield commander. He's not a he's not a desk jockey. He's a guy who comes in, who you know jumps right in with his guys and on a war footing because the uh, the villains have uh, run amok. And you know this season is called Rise of the Villains, and they've been brazen enough to come into the precinct, slaughter cops, and kill my predecessor. So I come in as both mentor to uh, to Ben's character, and also um, I'm worried for the kid because he's he's getting into that brand of law enforcement that, that ends justifies the means brand of law enforcement that my character is absolutely adamantly against, and you find out why down the line, which is really interesting. You find out that certain things in his past inform the reasons that he's so adamantly against breaking the law in order to achieve the law. Um, was there any hesitation going into this? I mean, because it's usually like you're a cop yeah, or sure you're a superhero was. because you didn't know ordinary family and everything, well, but I mean... I've danced all around these, these neighborhoods, but I mean, this, this is different. I mean, there's a familiarity uh, in that... Uh, it's a hybrid of two genres that I've spent a lot of time in my career, but at the same time, it's a completely different new world. I mean, I love that it's, you know, very different Marvel. Marvel is sort of almost Grecian in its mythology. It's very, you know, uh, it deals with epic the, uh, themes of good and evil, whereas, you know, Gotham and... and, and the DC comic book world is much more of a noir feel, you know, it really delves into the darkness of men's souls, and, you know, so they're different universes, and I'm, I'm thrilled to be a part of both of them now in my career. Um, I know, you know, you take this stuff way too seriously, but, you know, it, it's, uh, it's just, to me, it's, this is entertaining. This is a really fun vehicle for storytelling and having fun, and the show looks phenomenal. And you get a cast of thousands, literally, and we're, you know, uh, it's a great way to tell stories. Yeah, man, you know, fresh meat. <laughs> uh, one of my favorite storylines has been Barbara and how she went from kind of being tied to the girl to having her own, like, totally separate crazy story. That's not crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Can we maybe see that happen with Kristen soon? Her character's been evolving. You have to keep watching. Uh, it's possible. I mean, I do think, yes, I mean, we, we changed Aaron's character this year and let her go down that path. That, to me, has been one of the most exciting things that we've done. And the culmination of the sort of Aaron, Gordon, and Tompkins storyline, which happens in episode eight, is bananas. And it's like, it, I watched the episode uh, the other day, and it is just, it feels very, like, core and mythic and elevated. It's like everything we wanted to have out of the show is great. And she knocks it out of the park. But it, that storyline, I think, and uh, what happens to Barbara is representative of what we want all of our characters to do, because the Batman and all the superhero stories are, to a large degree, about um, identity transformation. Like, you know, Bruce Wayne, <laughs> this awful thing happens to him, so he makes a choice to change his identity and become Batman. And that kind of happens to all of our characters. You say Edward Enigma kind of then becomes uh, the Riddler, or you watch uh, Otto Cobblepot become the Penguin. So with all of our characters, we're always asking, like, what is that shadow self lurking inside them, and how do we bring the shadow out? We have to be someone else. So I would say that all of our characters have that potential. 
Speak, uh, uh, speaking of the change in Marty, what has surprised you about season two? Did you always know it was going to be the rise of the villains? How has the show and it surprised you or changed as it's gone? It, it surprised me by how much fun it is. Honestly, we always knew we wanted to do to lean more into the rogues gallery because it is like we have these nuclear weapons we weren't playing yet. So we're like, let's get them out there. And it has given a level of energy and fun to the show, I think, which is fascinating. And also when you have, it actually has allowed us to write longer scenes uh, than last year. Like, this is like a weird technical point which you might not interest you, but last year, because you're following cases so much, you're getting clues going to this place. Now, because you have these larger-than-life characters, what you really want to do is see them in a room interacting with one another. Whether they're trying to kill each other or they talk to, just talk to each other. Villains are delicious. Yeah, yeah that's exactly. What, right? That's Those where are like really into. interesting, delicious characters. Yeah. And, and all these things that are the engine that drives these different people to do what they do is what we're fascinated by. Yeah. I mean, and if you don't care about that, it doesn't matter about the, what you blow up and, and you know, what you get shot. If you're not engaged on that level as an audience, then you're out, right? So, and that's why I was, that's one of the reasons why I took the gig on because when I spoke to Bruno, I said, listen, are they, I know you're at that place in the, in the history of this show, are you going to go procedural or are you going to go serialized? And when he said serialized, I went, all right, because I'm not, I, I'm not interested in doing the procedural version of this show. It's not interesting. But the way they've decided to heighten all the stakes, make it really... Epic. Epic. Yeah, yeah. Go big or go home with this shit. <laughs> <laughs> We go, we go big. big. Yeah. <laughs> it's big. It's uh, for television. You can't really get any bigger. I mean, in yeah, terms I of scale, you can't. Yeah, yeah. We get a nine-day shoot. It's just you can't. Really. It's astonishing what I mean. The, the casting crew pull off in nine days. It blows us away every time. I think. In, a, in some ways, we're a victim of our own success. Yes, yes, sure. They do such a great job, the cast and the crew. They're like, we just keep loading more stuff on yeah. them. Like, well, if they did that, let's try this out. You know? <laughs> like, uh, you know, but it's, you know, like, I'm sore as hell from this week because we <laughs> yeah, these big, huge fight scenes and things, shots fired, knives flying around. It was crazy. It was yeah. crazy. Bombs went off. Crazy. You know, so. <laughs> That's true. It was a fun week. Yeah. So indicative there that uh, that Barbara's storyline in season two seems to be uh, seems to be showing a signs that uh, John Stevens is taking some of these characters down a pretty crazy path for season two. Yeah, it really elevated and heightened sort of craziness and extremes. I think here that we're probably going to see in season two, and it really ties in nicely with kind of what Corey Michael Smith and um, Robin Lord Taylor talked about, which was. You had Falcone Maroney, who are old, old school. To an extent, you see the Riddler and the Penguin as an old school, and these are the new crazy crazies of the new school, which the Riddler and Penguin don't seem to get. They need a bit more structure than what the likes of Jerome and Barbara and what Galavan, uh, the Galavan twins, want to, to bring to Gotham. Yeah. So that ties in nicely. And then we have Michael Chiklis, um, stating that this is, you know, a firm footing for war. He's coming in as an ex-military as well. He is on a war footing to rid crime, corruption from Gotham and the GCPD. And he wants to be an ally of, of Jim. And he 
goes down that route of being his ally and mentor as well. Yeah, and really exciting to see that Jim's going to have someone at his side now after all the times he's been fighting on his own, um, fighting even with his partner Harvey all the way through season one to keep him on side, to keep him on side. It's nice that he's going to have somebody hopefully at his back uh, for the rest of season two. So with that, we move on to the steadfast Jim Gordon, played mm-hmm. by Ben McKenzie. And again, another newcomer, James Frain, who is playing Theo Gallivan. Yeah, brilliant to uh, brilliant to get the chance to meet Ben McKenzie again, wasn't it? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So here we go. You guys having a good show here today? Yeah. Seems to be going very smoothly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Successful autograph signing. Mm-hmm. Some fairly witty interview answers, but I'm afraid we've run out. So <laughs> we're all out of wit. Welcome to the drags. <laughs> Something I think is interesting about Theo is that most other villains in the show are really like in your face about how evil they are, but he chose to do this kind of like long con fake hero role. So why do you, how do you think that plays into his bigger plan? It is his bigger plan. It is um, a rogue billionaire who is obviously narcissistic and, and at least has a strong point of view. Feels like a valid hero for a city on the brink of collapse and, and so that's that's a very obvious meaningful play to him because it means he can get close to the real power players at the heart of things Jim and um, Bruce Wayne so you know, that's, his, that's his plan to come in and see you so and then stick it that's right <laughs> and he's doing so starting a, and what's nice about season two is there were spooling out longer form forms of storytelling and full serialization and we can really build these arcs so that you know by the time Jim hasn't even figured out that Theo's up to no good but by the time he does how does he dismantle Theo he can't just go straight at him Theo's far and away the most uh, uh, complicated and sophisticated of the villains that he's faced uh, up to this point and so it becomes a real clash of the titans if you will how is how's Jim dealing with the chaos that's happened um, in the first three episodes? Like personally, with his uh, with Barbara trying to attack um, <laughs> his he's holding, girlfriend, he's holding it together barely. But yeah. uh, I think the uh, the starting to fray a little bit under the pressure, and he's certainly wearing the guilt of what he's already done already at the beginning of the season having killed a man to collect a debt a debt on behalf of Penguin in order to get his job back um, he's starting, starting to see that he's becoming a little unhinged um, and and that's only going to continue as he discovers what Gallon ends up to and, and tries to put a stop to it so um, it's a nice shift it's a really sort of Aggressive gear shift here in season two, and um, we don't keep our foot on the gas. We don't really go off. I'm using as many metaphors as I can. Well, I don't Thank, you. Thank you. I mean, we've seen Jim really like embrace his darker side more this season. Think that he still has a limit somewhere of how far he'll go, or is that kind of being pushed now? We keep pushing it. We keep pushing it um, time and time again, and then and then we may push it so far that it that it breaks or he breaks in a sense. And, has to really come to terms with, with not liking who he, who he is at all, rejecting all of it. Um, um, but uh, but it's it's fits and starts, you know. It's, uh, sort of push forward a little bit. He finds some solace in Lee or in, in, in 
you know, Bacardi Bullock or Barnes or whoever, and, and then he keeps pushing forward. Um, but each time he goes a little bit further, and, and each time he sort of um, uh, uh, tips fade. My fate, I guess, being the destruction of his own soul. So, just what can we expect from this season? James? <laughs> I think we've coded the... We, the writers, have coded the rise of the villains because, because we're going to transition from uh, a world quite like our own into a kind of chaotic space where you can accept there are supervillains who have these larger than real-life personalities. That's sort of the goal, I think, of season two, to really show the rise of the villains from, from, from you know, a, a corrupt environment into a, a, a really quite insane world. Do, do you feel like you're going to bring back any more criminal uh, organizations or like mob out of the way, kind of? Like, with the, the criminals? No, I mean, I think what we're telling is, is the old Gotham was the crime families. The crime families had an interest in law and order in the sense of the only way to do the business is if things are relatively... Everyone understands what the game is. Once they go away and they're dispatched at the end of season one, there's a power vacuum. Penguin steps into that. But there's also an ability for someone like Theo to come in and shake, just, you know, burn things to the ground. Um, and in that anarchy, all of these uh, super personas are created. People start dressing up in, in various costumes and, and and that anarchy is, is, is the basic element. The crime families can't ever regain their foothold because it's, it's So it's nice to see from that, I think, that, uh, you know, the, the motives being teased out by Theo Gallivan, you know, what he's trying to do, he's trying to undermine uh, those existing powers in in Gotham, you know, mm -hmm. he is an adopted son, but he is, in a sense, motivated by by a revenge here to have their family take, you know, the, their rightful place. And I think what we see as well, what he's drawing out of Jim with the release of the inmates from Arkham is a much darker, much more dangerous side. And he's struggling to come to terms with both personally and professionally in the GCPD, the loss of colleagues, and the the craziness of, of Barbara, his former fiance, and um, all attacking him and, and and his colleagues and his girlfriend, obviously Leslie Tompkins, played by Marina Baccarin. Yeah, yeah, you mentioned there about uh, about Aaron Richards, Barbara Keane, and um, originally Marina Baccarin was going to be at New York Comic Con, but uh, there are reasons that she couldn't unfortunately make it. But uh, what's great is we did get. Erin uh, Richards again. She returned for New York Comic Con. This is the second time we've been able to to interview Erin uh, Richards. Um, she's joined by Jessica Lucas in the final of our four interviews from New York Comic Con. Um, really interesting to have those two together. They've uh, they've really been making an impression in the first four episodes of Gotham. Absolutely. And Jessica Lucas obviously plays Tigress Tabitha Gallivan. Mm -hmm. So here we go. Barbara's arc is one of my favorites in the whole series so far. Like, so Ryan, did you know like early on that she was going to eventually take on this much darker role? Were you as surprised as the audience was to see that side of her? I mean, I think from the beginning there were signs. You know, she was she kind of had that spiral where she was she got sort of balance of drugs and alcohol abuse. Her relationship with Montoya was obviously very important. So I think I knew that she, I, I definitely knew that she was going to a darker place. I, I didn't know that she was going to go to her. 
quite quite a big shot. But I think such a fantastic development because it really released her into the world as like this kind of new dark someone going to be inspired by that? <laughs> I don't know. That would ever make you think that. Um, I, sure. There was there was a conscious thought put into her look and how it was going to relate to somebody else. Right. Yeah. That was dumb. Yeah. Yeah. Hi. Thank you. From playful actresses, aren't they? They really are. Oh, big time! And certainly, they will be um, influencing the young Selena Kyle here. We had in season one Barbara Keane influencing her, saying that you can use your body and your poise and posture as a weapon mm-hmm. to to um, undermine uh, 
weak men and intimidate weak men as well. Yeah. Use it as a weapon. And here, you know, Tabitha, very much a feline uh, motif, has the, 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 the jumpsuit, has the whip, um, it looks likely that she will be forming an impression on the young Selena Kyle as well. Definitely. Great interviews, John. Uh, can you tell us a bit about the, about what it's like being in that uh, being in the round table room? Just kind of explain it to to the listeners about uh, you know what the layout is and how it, how it works. Yeah, I mean, basically everyone is waiting in the press area, and you have to sign in, mm -hmm. and then you're taken to um, a, a smaller room which is enclosed off with sort of. Uh, boards like you would get and um, say that that split up a, an office right right but actually the whole area is incredibly open because the javits center itself is like a huge greenhouse that's huge and um, it? it's really cavernous i mean one of the people sat at my table was like this building was designed by the government as an experiment and i mean you can hear it say in Sometimes in the audio, it's quite cavernous. You get mm -hmm. some echo. The sun is streaming in. So if you're doing video, you have to try and get a, a, a position with the back to the sun, which you might not always get. That's so right, yeah. it's it's a really um, strange area to have the press because of the the issue of sound and the issue of the light because it's cavernous and like a greenhouse. But it's a much smaller room and you have... People doing um, video interviews with, you know, the Reed Pop and the New York Comic Con uh, background that you would see in some of the, you know, the the media outlets like IGN yeah. uh, and so on. But then you have behind that four or five round tables, literally round tables, where you sit with others. And on this case, it was two at a time that they they came to the table. You know, they come in the. It's an hour-long maximum, but it feels so much shorter because yeah. um, you literally get maybe five, le certainly less than ten minutes uh, with each of the, the pairs. Um, and really, it's a free-for-all in terms of asking the questions. Mm. There's no, you go around the table asking the questions. It's basically those who jump in quickest. And, I mean, you can hear from, you know, I got there sometimes, other times I didn't, and other times other people kind of ask similar questions and you kind of you can't really ask them again. Right. And yeah. you don't want to because you want to draw as much out of them as possible. So if someone else has already already asked you a question, it's worthwhile to ask a different question to get more information from them. So um you know, and there's a few little moments of downtime whilst you're waiting for them to move from one table to another mm -hmm. and so on. But it's a really interesting experience. And, I mean, again, I just really want to thank um, Holly and Mark for their uh, generosity in asking us again to attend the round table and to be a part of that experience. It's really um interesting experience and of course it's great to get to meet these people i mean you know there is part of me this is the first time i um interviewed cory michael smith i was slightly in awe like because i really like his character yeah um he is great and he's just he's like going oh my goodness there's the guy who plays ed nigma riddler and you're kind of like going, yeah like <laughs> jaw drop and it's the same as in michael chiklis i mean I know him from the Fantastic Four movies. For me, he's a really big actor. I'm yep. like going, wow. You know, so there is a bit of that as well. And yeah. even James Frain, you know, he was in True Blood. Um, he was in Agent Carter. Again, two shows that I really, really enjoyed. So you do have to try and 
prevent the, the starstruckness <laughs> coming in. Um, but sometimes it's unavoidable, and quite rightly so. I'm a fan, you know. I'm I'm not a trained journalist, um, so I ask these questions, and I'm also fan a fan podcast with with you and. Yeah. It's a great experience to have. Absolutely, especially going over from Ireland to to the US to New York. You know, on spec, basically, we we got our tickets for New York Comic Con months ago. It's absolutely a holiday for us, but getting the opportunity to meet up with some of the cast is great fun, isn't it? Absolutely, it it is really good fun, and I think this year as well, we got to meet up um, with some of the people who follow us as well, and of course, um, there was. Tom Calderon, who plays Officer Joe. So I didn't get to meet him, unfortunately, but Derek did. So it was really, really good in that sense. And just one final thing about sort of the whole uh, interview process. I think the majority of people there are from uh, the US and Canada. Um, I really didn't hear too many other, say, UK or Irish accents there. I might be wrong. But it is dominated by, obviously, the media outlets in North America, I think. Definitely. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Must have been fun for some of the cast, like James Frain, who's British, and Aaron Richards, who's Welsh. It must have been fun for them to hear a a British accent asking them a couple of questions. Well, I think with James Frain, I think there was one moment where I think as soon as he heard me speak, he was like, oh, there's fellow Brit. (laughs) That kind of thing. So, I mean, it would kind of catch it in his eyes, maybe, to an extent. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you did mention there that luckily getting uh, for us getting to meet some of our listeners while we were there. Uh, a quick shout out to Ricky Valles, who, who finally got to meet. Uh, she's been following us on Twitter for about a year now. We've been talking back and forth for ages and never got to meet her. A uh, really lucky opportunity to meet herself, um, her mom, and uh, and Tom Calderon, who John mentioned plays uh, is a is a background actor in the in the GCPD. Um, if you follow us on Twitter, you'll have seen some photographs of uh, of him from. Uh, from the Comic-Con, and also we've constantly been playing a game of Spot uh, spot Cop Joe uh, throughout Season 1 and now into Season 2, so uh, really good to meet up with those guys. They're um, they're really good fun on Twitter and uh, and really nice to see, really good, a good opportunity to meet them while John was off meeting the cast. Ricky also had the chance to go to the autograph area. Uh, I tried to get to that, but the queue was massive for the uh, for the signatures of the cast of DC Legends of Tomorrow, of Supergirl, and of Gotham. All the cast that John met uh, were all there doing signatures, but uh, the queues were phenomenally big, and I just couldn't uh, couldn't spend the time on the final day of, of Comic Con uh, in the queue. Uh, yeah. But Ricky had a great opportunity. He's a huge Riddler fan. Uh, was dressed up as the Riddler. Um, had a Fantastic costume on. Uh, got the chance to meet Corey Michael Smith. Got to shake his hand. Got to uh, got to get a, a photograph with him, and got to ask a question at the Gotham panel, uh, where he remembered her and said hi to her from the stage, which was uh, really exciting for us. So I just want to give a quick shout out to the two of them. That was really enjoyable meeting both of them. Yeah, and of course the the panel then was the big uh, Warner Brother TV takeover, where we had everyone who I interviewed out on the panel mm-hmm. after a. Two to three minutes sizzle reel from um, everything that's happened so far in season two of Gotham, from some of the big highs, uh, but also then on the introduction of Captain Barnes and everything else in between. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I think my favorite moment, though, was uh, was Aaron Richards recommending that uh, that since Tabitha likes to wear black leather, that uh, 
potentially James Friend's character, her brother, would eventually also be in, dressed in black leather. And she seemed to be <laughs> genuinely excited about it. Uh, one thing I will say from the panel, definitely, and from the interview, really, is seeing the change in Erin Richards from last year when we were interviewing her. Nobody really seen much of her on the show. Um, this year, she is so much more confident in her character and so much seems to be enjo- not not enjoying it more, but seems to really love playing this part of the craziness of ba- of Babs. Of Absolutely. Absolutely. And she got a huge response from the auditorium at New York Comic Con. And I think justifiably so. Like, she has uh, really done well with this character. And I think the character is in a better place for her um, commitment and persistence with bringing Barbara from what would be an area or a position of being quite timid to one now of being brazen, brash and crazy. Like it's really, really good, really good. And she got all the plaudits she deserved in in the hall, uh, the Empire Hall at New York Comic Con. Really, really nice to hear. It's definitely one of the fun things about going to a big event like this where you you get the reaction of a huge crowd. It was five five or six thousand people. Um, get the reaction of a huge crowd to characters whereas when you're sitting at home watching on TV you obviously clearly only have your opinion that's that's what we podcast about obviously but uh, but hearing you know the reaction of the audience to some of these actors uh, it definitely is interesting seeing how, how some characters are, per- are perceived uh, Corey Michael Smith and Robin Lord Taylor I thought the ceiling was going to fall in uh, with the with the cheers and applause from the audience when the two of them arrived on stage that was fantastic absolutely and I mean just to see Robin Lord Taylor's uh, excitement at seeing Pee-wee Herman, who's going to play his father on Gotham. I mean, Pee-wee Herman, for anyone in the UK and Ireland, you may know them, but he's not the big deal like he is in uh, the USA. You know, he's probably known because he played Oswald's father in Batman Returns. Yeah, but he did did have a film that was released over here, which was directed by Tim Burton, I believe, uh, where he got the part in uh, in Batman Returns. There was PB's Big Adventure. Um, I certainly remember that from when I was a kid. Um, but we definitely didn't get his weekly TV show. We didn't get the other TV movies that he did. Uh, incidentally, John, an interesting one to tie up our last interview. Uh, Drew Powell was actually in uh, a, a Pee Wee Herman TV special. Uh, Drew Powell played a part in... Uh, in the, uh, I think it was called Pee Wee on Broadway, I think is the name of the TV special. Uh, so quite interesting that Drew Powell also worked with Paul Rubens in the past and now he's going to be playing Oswald's dad. So there's going to be another little, oh, little meet up in Gotham of those two those two actors. Absolutely. It's good fun. It's yeah. Good fun. But that's um, all we've got on the, the Gotham part of our DC coverage here. But there was a whole huge amount of other uh, stuff that we want to Uh, run through with you as well Hmm. in particular the tv preview screenings that were held on the thursday on the first day uh, of new york comic-con and it had supergirl our first look at supergirl episode one and also the pilot episode for lucifer which has tom ellis who over here in ireland in the uk is really well known for being in the miranda sitcom Um, and it was really good to see him come and move on from that into a really witty, edgy, dark, sexy kind of uh, look that I'm really looking forward to seeing. I have to say, Lucifer, for me, looked to be good, good fun, uh, and I can't wait to see that. 
Yeah, definitely. Lucifer is, is uh, based on a character created by Neil Gaiman uh, in the Sandman comic books. Um, most people know who Lucifer really is. Obviously, it is the devil. Uh, it's been getting a lot of uh, a lot of quite negative press in the US um, from some right wing groups uh, who don't want a TV show called Lucifer. Uh, but it is fundamentally based on a comic book character, um, which is which is really interesting the show the show itself we saw the full pilot uh, on the previous screening night it's not out until 2016 i believe uh, january 2016 um i was fascinated to see the show because it was it's very different from what we've seen on tv uh maybe it has some semblance to constantine but is um it's much more accessible i think uh to to most people it's based in la so it's a, it's not in, based in a fictional city like all the other warner brothers programs um and yeah, Tom Ellis is definitely a standout uh, in that show. Really good to see, you know, this character who can manipulate people's minds at a whim uh, and how he uses it within the pilot episode. Uh, really excited to see how it gets taken up. Yeah, but I mean, he still is Lucifer. He is the devil. He's just not playing to the script that God is providing that he doesn't want to be in hell. He wants to be on earth and he is still mischievous he's still got his dark and threatening elements to him but he's also in a, to an extent in a twisted way um does have some kind of notion of justice from what i got from yes. this um, first episode yes I certainly so wouldn't. it's lucifer but a different form of lucifer but he is the lucifer that we all know that would be in supernatural it's just that he's come up from below the ground and is now living happily in la uh, indulging in all that um decadence that you have in hollywood and yeah. los angeles yeah it's definitely a very different show and definitely a much more adult show than the uh than certainly the the wb programming that's been out there like arrow and flash and supergirl which we'll which we'll talk about as well um so we saw the supergirl pilot that's due to air in uh, in the u.s this month um interesting pilot uh definitely felt like uh, Flash and Arrow, if you like those shows, definitely similar type to that. Um, a little bit of a bigger scale. Obviously, we get to see uh, the new James Olsen in uh, in Supergirl, which was quite interesting. Um, seeing that character Jimmy Olsen uh, being reinvented for uh, for the new um, for the new kind of versions of TV. Uh, he's not the old. Uh, he's definitely not the old. Um, the old weedy, uh, nerdy kid that that ran around with uh, with Clark Kent. This is a very different version. Um, oh yeah, yeah, very uh, different. I got to see the panel for Supergirl on Sunday, which had uh, the character, the actor who plays James Olsen, and the showrunner for Supergirl. And what they specifically talked about was um, that half the writers' room for this show are female, uh, so they will be writing a lot of the a lot of the characters from a female perspective, and they are able to write that, obviously. Um, but they're, what they're saying is the show is absolutely not just for girls. It's for everybody who's into action, which includes men and women. Um, I, I have to say I kind of enjoyed it. Um, I want to see more of the show, definitely. My, I'm not as, as sold on it as I was on Lucifer. Uh, what do you think of it yourself, John? What's, uh, your I was intrigued. I, I didn't quite know what to expect. And I liked how they were introducing Supergirl and her connection with, obviously, Superman. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I don't really know anything about Supergirl. So I, I bought into the fact that she was sent after Superman to protect him. That I could deal with. And the fact that now all... Essentially, the bad guys that you might see over the course of season one, and certainly that you see um, in the first pilot episode, are originating from the negative zone later on. So yeah. it, 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 I thought that was believable to me, and so I'm actually looking forward to seeing it. And Melissa Benoist, who plays um, Supergirl, was really good. I totally 
got her in uh, in the role. And we've got the intrigue then of the agency of the US government being involved. All really, really good, um, I thought. And something that I would certainly want to see um, more of before I decide whether I really like it or really don't like it. At this moment, I definitely bought into it and I would certainly give it a chance and i did like it i liked the episode yeah the good news for us europeans is that sky one have announced that they have bought the rights to that so that will be their third warner brothers show along with um flash and arrow uh, and now supergirl joining the uh, joining the lineup on sky one over here in the uk and ireland and um, the one thing that gives me a little bit of pause about the show i must say is it's obviously built for a much bigger network in the u.s cbs are broadcasting it which is much bigger than the uh, than the channel that has arrow and uh and flash so it's looking for much bigger ratings which means it has to be a bit more broad than uh, than um flash and arrow it means it can't have characters like gorilla grod showing up in the background just for a bit of a, a joke for comic book fans it has to be a bit more broad um the producer of the show or the showrunner for the show uh, specifically said that what they're looking to set up is a show that has a villain of the week every week and we know how that worked out for gotham in the first season so it does give me a little bit of pause uh, but i am interested to see how the how the show itself goes yeah and staying with the dc universe one other aspect that we had was the 30th anniversary of the dark knight oh, and the yes. introduction of the dark knight volume three um panel that was there which had brian azzarello uh, frank miller and jim lee amongst other uh, luminaries obviously frank miller and brian azzarello are doing the 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 story the artwork is done by andy kubert with uh, klaus and um, who was involved with frank miller on the original to the dark knight and the dark knight returns and um, they are involved with the artwork and the inking so really really um interesting panel and the the artwork immediately looked like it was from the dark knight Absolutely. really had the imprint of of frank miller uh, andy kubert was saying you know and um brian azarillo just they had the weight of that seminal graphic novel they did feel it whilst they were writing it, but doing it in collaboration with the original writer and artist behind that helped so much. And there's some nice little spin-off comics as well that will be included in um, in the releases of this publication. They'll all be set in the Dark Knight universe, and they will include the Atom, Flash, and Arrow, with the hope that they will spin out into their own stories within that world, which is really, uh, really good. So, if you're a comic book fan, if you're a Dark Knight fan, if you're a Frank Miller fan, you should be really getting excited for this, because it looks really, really cool. It certainly did, and what a pleasure to have Frank Miller in the room. It was a real kind of surprise for everybody that he was that he was turning up. Uh, I think the audience reaction to it was huge. Um, he was unfortunately very, very sick last year, uh, leading to rumours that that's the reason why he didn't actually write most of The Dark Knight. Um, I encourage you, I think the actual full panel is being released this week. I encourage you to go and have a look at it. It's over on DC All Access, I believe. Um, they'll be releasing the full panel. I encourage you to go and, and watch it. Frank Miller is fantastic in the interview, in just in the way that he doesn't take uh, the DC line of questioning. Uh, he very much talks about this book the way he wanted to. Um, the way he wanted to. He doesn't 
uh, answer the questions the way you would expect someone who works for DC. It's very much about um, the fact that he was he gave gave some lead for Brian Azzarello, but this is Brian Azzarello's book. He's playing with Frank Miller's toys that he created in the DC world, and he gives gives full respect to Brian Azzarello. And I thought that was really interesting. And just to your point uh, as well. The one question that came from the audience that I felt very sorry for um, the guy who'd come all the way over from Ireland to ask a question of Frank Miller and Frank and Brian Azzarello. He asked the question, uh, since you're setting up a Dark Knight universe, does this mean there's going to be more comment, more comics coming in that universe in the future? And the response he got was, well, duh, obviously. Um, felt really sorry for that yeah. poor guy who, uh, who who lined up to, uh, to ask a question of what genuinely I'm sure are just like ourselves, our big heroes uh, for him, and uh, got a bit of a, a bit of a sharp response from Brian. Yeah. Uh, it, it was, we're in the business of making money kind of thing. Um, but it looks like a really interesting book. I'm, I'm excited to see it. So Dark Knight 3, The Master Race, uh, first issue's coming out in, in about, uh, about a month's time, I believe. Yeah, and I mean, I think, leave you with the thought that Frank Miller said, um, he got to play with DC's... Uh, toy box and now brian azarillo has got to play with frank miller's version of dc's um play box so really cool while we're talking about batman uh, the other big cool thing that was at new york comic-con that we got to see was the batman v superman dawn of justice costumes really cool I, I, I love this kind of stuff i must admit i'm a big big geek for background stuff on tv shows and movies as you may have noticed on the uh, 90 or so podcasts that we've recorded um so we got to see the batman v superman costumes up close and personal um firstly obviously we we saw uh, the batman costume his his uh, standard one for Ben Affleck, but we also got to see the tech suit, which was very cool. Yeah, the big, big Superman destroyer mech suit. Um, really cool. Um, eyes lit up. Um, and to be honest, Superman is going to have some problems trying to take that down. Yeah, definitely. Really, but it's really cool definitely seeing it up close as well because you can see this fits over the top of Batman's standard costume. You can definitely see the way it's the way it's positioned, the way it's built. Really, really cool. Uh, but we also got to see the Wonder Woman costume and what really struck me about that was from all the photographs I've seen in the past and most of them are taken through glass cases like the ones we were taking. Um, but what I've missed, I suppose, is the is the colour that's in there in the Wonder Woman costume. There's, there's definitely the standard blue and red in there that you'd expect it's definitely her lasso lasso is definitely golden um it's very difficult to see unless you could crack open the, that glass and take a photograph it would be very difficult to get that into into a photograph um i did want to crack open the, the, uh, <laughs> but you the would cabinet. have been es escorted out of the venue very 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 quickly i'm sure uh superman's costume looks cool looks like superman uh, yeah dead rich though in terms of the color speaking of colors you know it's really vibrant um, and really well textured as is the batman suit the the texture on the suit is cool yeah, and but to be clear not like san diego comic-con they didn't have 40 different versions painted in different colors this is the actual ben affleck suit yeah. which is not varying colors like we saw on the internet before uh, San Diego Comic-Con. And I think as well, finally, there were a lot of gadgets that were included um, that help to move aspects of the Batman mech suit, um, which was really cool for, from the, the helmet area mm -hmm. down to the, the grapple gun and, and all of that, all these different gadgets involved with the mech suit and with Batman's costume, which was super cool to see. Actually. Yeah, wasn't it? I, I yeah. kind of get the feeling that we're going to see a lot more gadgets from this Batman than we've seen than we saw in Christian Bale's 
version of Batman for uh, for Christopher Nolan. It seemed like these are going to be the kind of cool stuff that we saw in the cartoons and in the comic books a lot more. There's there's things like the sticky bombs and uh, some batarangs in there, that kind of stuff. Really, really fun to see. And those photographs are up on our Facebook uh, page on Gotham, uh, Gotham TV Podcast on Facebook. You can see them on there. Uh, and you can also make sure you see them on Twitter at uh, Gotham TV Podcast as well. Yeah, but I think that's all from our DC and especially our Gotham Roundup, including the interviews. Remember to listen to our podcast on the hit show Gotham. Go over to gothamtvpodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can listen to them on the website as well at gothamtvpodcast.com or you can check them out on any other good podcast catcher such as Player FM, Podcast Addict, Beyond Pod, or Stitcher, just search Gotham TV Podcast and be sure to leave a review um, and tell us what you think. There was tons of other stuff as well at New York Comic Con this year, um, from Marvel through to other properties such as The Walking Dead. So if you want to hear our thoughts on everything to do with Marvel, um, you can head over to um, DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. And again, for everything bundled together in one, Gotham, Marvel, and then all the other stuff such as Walking Dead um, and the merchandise and all that kind of stuff, you can head over to tvpodcastindustries.com forward slash iTunes um, to catch all of the other great stuff that was at New York Comic Con. Absolutely, and uh, obviously as we've seen the first couple episodes of Gotham, we will be returning with our next episode with a review of Gotham Season 2, Episode 2. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thanks for being a Butch supporter. Butch loves you, baby. <laughs>